Hello everyone, this is the Switch Focus Podcast. I'm Andy Corrigan. With me, rested and raring to go for another year of Switch Focused Podcasting are Ginny Wu and Andrew Brown. Hey guys, how were your festive holidays? Um, busy, um, but also festive. I think I spent most of it uh, eating a lot of things, uh, doing a lot of sleeping, and catching up on my backlog of games from last year. So all in all, pretty productive. <sighs> I think he's still in a food coma Sounds like it (laughs) Uh, I'm awake, sorry (laughs) We're supposed to be rested, right? Yeah, Yeah. very well rested I'm just now emerging from my cave From winter hibernation (laughs) And I'm quite hungry. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully we've got a feast of good content for our listeners here. <laughs> uh... Okay. So with this episode, uh, there's been heaps of news and uh, releases despite the holiday break. So rather than bombard you with a month's worth of old news and 30-minute release lists, uh, we're just going to use this episode as something of a, a catch-up and chat about what we played over the holidays um, but it would be remiss of us to not talk about the Nintendo Labo that they announced last week. So it's basically like a, a science kit with cardboard cutouts that you can turn into cool little gadgets and things. What did you guys make of this? Um, I probably would have really liked to have one as a child. Um, I really liked building things like Zoys and stuff. And when I was growing up, I took like a robotics class one summer and basically use that like really basic logic programming to try and make a robot turn around in a circle and do things. This looks like the a more sophisticated and more fun version, to be honest, of what I did at the, on that summer holiday as a child. So the kid in me thinks it's pretty cool, but um, the pessimistic adult in me probably won't see much use for it currently in myself. So I'm glad that it's there, because obviously Nintendo has a huge kids market to cater to. I'm just sad that it didn't come out, or something like it wasn't out when I was a child. So yay, but I won't be getting it, personally. This looks super interesting, but it also looks like something that if I bought it, I would play it once, and then it would just take up space in my closet next to my Guitar Hero controllers. So Completely agree. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm really interested to see how this develops, and... I hope it's a success for Nintendo, but uh, I cannot personally say I'm going to be investing in it. Yeah, I think I want one out of curiosity, and then, like you say, I'll just put it away and never touch it again. I want to build the piano, man. It looks cool. The piano looks cool, yeah. Yeah, that's all I want it for. I want to learn to play Sister Christian on that. (laughs) Cool, so let's just move on to uh, basically what we've been playing over the the Christmas and New Year break. Cool. So we're going to have a, a bit of crossover here. I think we all had a, a lot of the same stuff in our backlogs. So what I think we'll do is we'll just run through my list first, and then we'll get through the, the rest after. So first up is L.A. Noir. So you remember how I said I was going to play this a bit like a TV show? Mm-hmm. Did you play it like a Netflix TV show? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I binged it in a week. Once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so instead of playing it case by case like I planned... 
Uh, not necessarily because I was always completely hooked to it, although there was an element of that at times, but I was just looking at my SD card space, freaking out about the upcoming releases, and realized it'd be better to spend my holidays doing that than going through something longer like Xenoblade Chronicles. Um, so the game itself, part of my eagerness to replay it on Switch was to see how my opinion held up from the original release. I think my position has shifted slightly to be more positive. Uh, I enjoyed the plot a lot more this time. Previously I sort of got frustrated that, say, on the homicide desk you were clearly putting away innocent people, however morally questionable they might have been. Um, even You know, and there's obviously this serial killer at large. This time I sort of appreciated more how Cole was under pressure to get quick convictions, to appease the press, to appease his bosses, and to appease the bosses of his bosses. Uh, all for reasons you sort of uncover the more you play. Uh, I liked the reason as to why sometimes his superiors wouldn't let the truth go public. Um, and as with my previous experience with Elaine Noir, I really appreciated the arc of Cole's rise, fall, and, and subsequent redemption. Uh, what I will say though is I feel like the game is six hours too long. And that's not even including the DLC cases, which were also included here. It sort of just starts to drag after the homicide desk, which is a shame because that's where a lot of the more interesting parts of the overarching plot sort of come together and uh, you know sort of over the vice desk and the arson desk and I was kind of sick of it by the time I got to those bits um, but the ending is great, it's pitch perfect it just drags at the worst possible time I know from that it doesn't sound like I enjoyed it more this time but I, I did, um, but I still have the same criticisms, the facial animation still switches from amazing to creepy depending on the scene <laughs> uh, the open world as we've said before is completely pointless and despite the wording changes of the interrogation system it still feels like Cole flies off the handle randomly I think a bit of context about what the option might do in terms of the dialogue would have improved the experience a little. Uh, regardless, still stand by my original appraisal from a few episodes back. It's a, a great port of an imperfect game. Uh, one that's as, as flawed as it is impressive. I too played Eleanor over the holidays, but I didn't have a freak out about my SD card space, so I didn't finish it. Um, I think I'm, cr- I'm currently on the Vice desk, so I know I'm close to the end having clocked it the first time. Um... I have actually slowed down my approach to it before I thought I'd just bang straight through it and play something else later on, but I've been doing Andy's original approach, which is sort of do a little bit here and there each time, and I've found that that way the investigation um, and the novelty of the new touchscreen controls haven't quite worn off on me yet. Um, so I think I mentioned before how I how I feel like the new way of interacting with the environment in investigations through the touchscreen makes it kind of feel more organic. Like I like to feel like I'm flipping pages, I'm physically moving things. Like I just I just think it feels a lot more cohesive and more immersive. So I mean, for me, the most fun I've had has been in these investigations. Um, I didn't really have any moral quandaries about the plot the first time I played. I think I was too young to fully really understand what it was about. But now I am realizing, as Andy just mentioned, like all these extra pressures that you're under and that the police system is under in this game. And it's feeling a little bit more meaningful um, to me. I've still got a while to go because I'm going to kind of put it on the back burner for all the big February releases. But I am looking forward to finishing it. And I think it is a really, really, really good port. Um, I wouldn't say it's a... uh, Yeah, I guess it is an imperfect game. But I think it's a good port of a good game that deserved more attention. So if you didn't play it before, you should definitely play it now. The other thing I finally got to finish was Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle. Um, 
finally got that last world completed. Uh, part of the reason I hadn't been back to it earlier was I was a bit worried about it being too long since I played it. Same reason I haven't jumped into the Zelda DLC yet. And that I'd have forgotten all the little tricks and tactics for the additional hits and mobility. Uh, but it really didn't take me that long to get back into the swing of it. That said, holy hell is that fourth world tough going at times. There are chapters where it's like four battles long with no checkpoints between fights. Uh, and some of those boss fights are absolutely brutal, but it's a lot of fun figuring out the patterns and the best tactics and uh, party switch-ups to try and deal with it. So uh, yeah, it just takes a bit of persistence, a bit some tinkering. I had uh, numerous instances where characters that just shouldn't work on certain levels suddenly became my MVP. Like I had Luigi in battles that just did not suit snipers, and he was just tearing it up brilliantly. Uh, great game, glad to have finally beaten it. Um, but I just can't be bothered going back to do the secret levels or challenges. I've archived it for now, but I'm probably going to pick up the story DLC now that I know that Donkey Kong's a part of it. Mm. Um, I did have this horrifying realisation about the game, though. What? So, uh, stay with me on this. <laughs> so, so, so when Mario's posse dies, they just get dazed, right? Uh-huh. When you take down an enemy rabid, they die, like, digitise out the world, they cease to exist. Uh-huh. So you literally have Mario with a gun, gunning down rabbits and killing them. I'm sure we've discussed this before. You're, you're just now coming to this realization? No, no, no. But it gets worse when you realize that these rabbits never asked to exist. <laughs> well, neither did I. Oh yeah, but they, they don't know why they're attacking Mario. They're just born into the world, angry and misunderstood because Spawny accidentally looked at something. They're rabbits. Who cares? What I'm saying is that it's kind of like the story of Frankenstein, but on a mass production scale. Oh my god. It kind of is a little bit, yeah. And told from the perspective of the pitchfork-wielding villagers. Oh. Well, they were the hero all along anyway. Yeah. Oh, so that's sad. Oh, that, that's maybe a bit sad now. I, I think mean... I've just ruined Mario plus Rabbids for Ginny. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I knew there was something a bit off with them. I think in one of the levels when you come across one and it's sort of in a toilet and it's watching, um, sorry, not um, a, there's like a rabbit in a toilet and then your um, your companion makes a comment about um, about hygiene and cleanliness. Um, I think I figured there was something <laughs> a bit wrong with the rabbits anyway. But when you put it like that, I guess they just they're just born to this world to suffer and then die. That's awful. Yeah. And so it goes. Well, I mean, <laughs> I've come so far, I guess I better finish the game. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Oh dear. Yeah, I'm only on world three still. I have been dragging and dragging and dragging my heels. Mainly for the same reason. I just found for some reason the earlier worlds easy to blast through and then world three midway it sort of get it started getting a little bit challenging and i think i had one of my first sort of complete wipes and i just thought this is really odd um and um so i've yet to sort of go through and properly optimize everything because i've been lazy about that it's really my own fault for not min maxing in this game like i should have been like my instinct was telling me to um but yeah, um, I dabbled a little bit on the holidays. I have done some of the challenges. Um, so unlike Andy, I sort of, when I got stumped in Wealthy, I sort of went back and tried to do all the challenges for the first two worlds. Um, I think those are quite fun, and they sort of really helped me get my head around how to better use my characters. But sometimes I still just felt like Luigi was a complete, um, was completely useless, about as useful as a sack of potatoes. So hopefully in World 4, 
Um, if I ever get there, he will start to shine and pull his weight. But for now, I think I'm happy with the amount of rabbits that I've played. And um, kind of wish I'd spent um, the couple of hours I did on it in my holiday playing something else. <laughs> Fair enough. You played any more of this one, Andrew? I'm still at the mid-boss to World 4. Uh, I got there in October, and I just I haven't felt like playing the game. It's uh, a frequent problem I have with this genre of tactical team shooters. I just I bounce off them really easily. I don't know what it is. But I, I do want to finish it before the DLC comes out because I've already paid for the DLC, so I'm definitely playing it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have the same problem with... Like, I love turn-based strategy games like this, but I, I find them tiring. And, like, finishing a level can just feel like such an investment that it's just easy to want to play something else after. Yeah, they're, they're I don't know what it is. exhausting, but I can't explain why because they don't really require any more effort than any other game. Uh, I don't know. Okay, the other thing I picked up over Christmas was uh, Resident Evil Revelations uh, 1 and 2, as people who follow me on Twitter might have realized. <laughs> I was tweeting about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so replaying Revelations 1 and playing Revelations 2 for the first time has been a revelation, and it just reminded me how much I love this stupid series. I, uh, I've had this long-time affection for the franchise ever since the PS1 original where it, it tapped directly into my childhood love of zombie B-movies. I used to unbeknownst to my parents, sorry mum and dad, uh, used to stay up late and watch cheesy horror flicks on Channel 4 in the UK, uh, which is where that love of zombies comes from. Uh, and when I first ever saw screenies and previews of Resident Evil in magazines, it was like my dream game. Uh, I rented it a lot from the local video store while I was staying at my dad's on weekends. Uh, and he ended up buying it for me for Christmas. Uh, uh, which was funny because he'd sort of taken to watching me play it because it had a decent story in spite of what I maintain is intentionally bad writing and translation, a tradition that has been carried on all these years. Um, Anyway, so what I'm getting at is that I love both what Resident Evil was and then what it has been since Resident Evil 4, even the bad ones. Um, And as a sort of a cross between classic and modern Resident Evil, the Revelations subseries, I guess. Yep. Uh, it's sort of reinvigorated my love even further, even more so than 7, which I also loved, which I super recommend playing in VR, by the way. Um, Revelations 1, completely the weaker game of the two, shows its age vigilantly, as uh, Andrew was saying a couple of episodes back. But it was like stunning on the original platform, which was the 3DS, and I, I can't believe that it, it ran on that, to be honest. And it still totally holds up gameplay-wise, uh, I love the the main story arc, Jill um, Parker's adventure on the boat, on the Queen Zenobia particularly, dips its toe back in the classic horror setting, uh, makes things tense, restricts your ammo. Um, I didn't like Chris's early portions half as much, but they sort of get better as it becomes more entwined with Jill's. And Quint and Keith, and seriously, is Quint even a, <laughs> is Quint even a name? Well, his codename uh, is Jackass, so... <laughs> it fits. Take your pick. Uh, if It felt more like filler, and they were just an annoying pair, but they tended to use those for more of the action-based sections. But with that, I kind of love the bad stuff the game does too. Like, the dialogue is dumb, the, the story's silly, yeah, 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 that's all old news. Um, 
but I, I love like the little mechanical stuff like how when a character goes through a door ahead of you and it's open and you can see them in the next room you can't just walk through the open door with them you have to wait for the door to close then you can press a button to go through yourself like that's the thing people would complain about but I love it because it just makes it feel more like a B movie uh, Revelations 2 completely the superior game hadn't played it before not sure why but the handling, the visuals, the dialogue, the story, it just feels so much more robust, I guess, which is to be expected. It's only a few years old. Uh, it sort of reminds me a lot of Evil Within, but with a competent focus narrative from start to finish. Totally agree. Absolutely. And I love how they layer the two campaigns over each other and how that plays out and how the things you can do in Claire's campaign might affect Barry's campaign. It's really neatly done. I like that the stakes feel a little smaller than Revelations 1 um, and some of the other games of course as it makes the characters f- feel like they matter more I mean it's still got the silliness um, and they joke about the, the former si- silliness but it's probably the most balanced Resident Evil has been since 4 and it's certainly the best Resident Evil game between 4 and 7 in my opinion Absolutely. Yeah. I lucked out and got the good ending because of a text pop up uh, but I gather you got the bad ending first and you didn't like that very much andrew i played through revelations 2 in december as well i think more or less alongside andy and yes this is a game that has a good and a bad ending but there's i didn't know that which is my own fault this game's been out for a few years so i could have done the little research on it in advance but i was trying to go through the game blind uh <laughs> and th- there is a clear intersection at the end of one of the chapters where it sends you off towards a good ending and a bad ending. It's it's a clear intersection. But it's not clear that you're leading towards one ending or to another. And I don't want to give it away how, how you do it, but I, I made a choice that I felt was consistent with the character. Uh, and it turns out that was the wrong choice, and I got the bad ending as a result. It's not even really a bad ending. It's not even an ending. It just kind of ends after the final, the the <laughs> first half of the final boss fight. And uh, I, I went and did some reading about it and found out I basically had to go back and replay the last two chapters of the game, which are by far the longest chapters in the game. So I was pretty unhappy about that. But uh, I, uh, I took a day to just settle and I went back and did it and I got it done. And uh, I, I'm I'm glad I did because it's it's a really good ending. That moment where Barry is walking away from the chopper with his hand cannon, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say um, I've moaned about motion controls in games before. Um, I generally dislike it. I tried the motion aiming thing out of curiosity early on in Resident Evil Revelations One, and then I never went back to analog sticks mm-hmm. to aim. Um, making these probably the first game I've played start to finish with Joy-Cons and not even Mario Odyssey managed that so it's really good just you move as normal press aim and then you just use the right right Joy-Con to to move your reticule around the, the screen oh. works perfectly just wait till you play Resident Evil 4 this way I'm sure it's going to come to Switch at some point hashtag port all the games uh, if you haven't played it with motion controls on the Wii before, it is the way the game is meant to be played. It is impossible to believe that Resident Evil 4 was not designed with motion aiming in mind, because it works that well. Yeah, I, I've actually bought the Wii version since 
but I'm hold, I'm going to hold out for this for a switch port because yeah I am absolutely convinced it, it's going to come, um, and just actually just bring all the Resident Evils to Switch, remake zero. I'd love to play four and five again, and hell I'd replay six quite happily, especially with this control screen. Do it, Capcom. Six isn't that bad. I'd replay six, but uh... yeah. it it starts good, gets progressively worse. But that's not <laughs> that's not this podcast part. I basically the opposite about it, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> basically buy both play both that's my opinion uh you've been putting some time in the raid mode yeah, let me let me just circle back real quick i do want to say uh yeah. moira burton is my favorite new character in the resident evil series i love her so much she has got a potty mouth on her and she just is so overwhelmed by everything and just cusses everything out i love her and she's actually a pretty good and competent character too I really hope they use her again. Unfortunately, how it seems to work with the Resident Evil series is they introduce new characters and then ignore them for Chris and Jill and Claire. But <laughs> maybe they'll bring her back. That would be nice. Uh, but the raid mode, yes, I have been playing that, obviously, because I gave it my multiplayer mode of the year in our Game of the Year episode two episodes back. Uh, it has its own miniature story in it, which, believe it or not, brings back the Red Queen from the Resident Evil movie series. Uh, what? Yeah, she's in there. <laughs> and wow. it, it tells its own little story, and it is a a raid mode where you can optionally team up with another person, but if you want to play it by yourself, you can. And it's got a pretty impressive unlock system. It's got an RPG weapon-building mechanic. And basically, if you just think of it as like a super grindy RPG... I think it'll capture your interest for a long time if you're into that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I archived it because I was worried about my space. I actually bought another SD card. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, haven't gone that far yet. Okay, so what else? Uh, music to Ginny's ears, probably. I played Oxen Free. Yeah. But, but not music to her, her ears. I didn't enjoy it as much as she did. Boo! Uh, it had been in my, I'm going to play this next week list for what, months in previous episodes. Um, my takeaway was that it's okay, I guess. I enjoyed the plot and finding out about the weird stuff that was happening to this small group of teens that end up on this island that's deserted for some reason uh, and why that's happening. But I'm, I'm just not sure what I think. I'm glad I've played it for sure. It was interesting. Um, definitely not enthused enough about it that I want to go back and see all the endings I'm happy for my decisions in the first playthrough to be the canon uh, I like the visual style it looks great and that soundtrack is legit amazing yeah I want to go back and amend my game of the year list from last year for music no do-overs <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, it's something that annoyed me with the collectibles the anomalies mm. and the the letters which i made a point of not collecting unless i stumbled upon them naturally um partly because you move so slowly yeah uh, and partly and this is true of collectibles in all games so it's not just a criticism of oxen free but going around to get them often makes no sense in a narrative driven game or one where the stakes are high like these teens are scared as it is they they're going to worry about getting off the island first they would they would be frantic. They're not going to leisurely walk around and look for some stones to interact with. Um, and this was something that Thimbleweed Park made fun of brilliantly. So play that instead. That's my my opinion. Hey, I found uh, all those specks of dust, and I was proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I think my main problem with the game, and this is where I sound like a grumpy old man yelling at the clouds, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is that I, it makes me feel like I no longer relate to young people. Oh. They, they all have believable life problems, yeah, stuff I've experienced, parent breakups, family deaths, but boy did I get fed up of them over-processing it. And it sounds con- contradictory to that. Uh, but the, while the voice acting felt fluid, like people in actual conversation, it has that sort of Dawson's Creek problem where all the teens are talking way too adult for their age brackets, as if they're wise beyond the years, um, as if they've had way more life experience than they've actually had. Maybe it's because it's adults writing teens, or maybe that's just because, like, when I was a teen, I thought I knew everything as well, maybe. Uh, like I say, happy I've played it, but I'd be really surprised if I ever fancy playing it again. I also played over Oxen Free over the break. Uh, it was had a great sale going one day. It was on sale for like five bucks, so I picked it up then. Uh, I really like the story. I really like the dialogue system because uh, I have mostly experience in these games with like Telltale games where you always wait until the character is finished talking before you give your response. But in this game, it wants you to interrupt the other characters. It took me a long time to get used to that. So I thought that was a, a pretty interesting system. And it's really focused on the dialogue. The pace of the game is kind of built around characters talking to each other. And that pace does not change when they're not saying anything. So walking around the island when you're not in a story sequence is pretty tedious. Which is what I ran into with the collectibles. Because I did go around and find them all. Uh, And the main problem with the collectibles, I would say, is most of them aren't even collectible until you're almost done with the game. So you literally have to stop the story to go and find everything all all over the island so you can get 100% completion. And then when you do it, uh, there's literally no reward. You find out a little bit more about the history of the island, but it doesn't really help you with the story any as far as understanding it better. So the collectibles are pretty much skippable. I, I, I felt they just put them in there to silence the walking simulators are not games crowd. Just so like, we have things to find. It is a video game, see? It just, uh, just that whole mindset I'm not a fan of. I would have been far more positive towards the game if it had just focused on its story. So I liked it in that regard, but it, it's far from perfect. Um, well, I didn't play Oxenfree again in the break. Um, I sort of got midway through my second playthrough and I've lost a bit of steam. Um, but, I mean, for me, I think I enjoyed it because I am not too far away from those teens in terms of an age bracket, so I found it really relatable. Don't know what that says about me, really. Um, it could be awful. But, um, I, I found the story really relatable. Um, the whole parent separating thing. Um, I had a summer holiday when my, where my parents separated, so it was like, oh, like I felt really connected to some characters in particular. So I guess that kind of influenced how much I enjoyed it. But, I mean, if you've played Night in the Woods, you would probably like Oxenfree. Um, I do think that what Andrew brought up, the whole interrupting and dialogue interaction being very different from traditional games that focus a lot on storytelling... Um, I think you do have to get used to that and like utilizing silence as a response is also very important. Um, if you play tell- if you play telltale games, you'll be used to this already. But if not, um, I think it is sort of like a different way of storytelling that is even more interactive. Just the way that everything is completely 100% dialogue. 
I think brings a very different feel to the game. So if you are even remotely interested in Oxenfree, um, I think the price point is pretty good. Um, I still recommend it, and as everyone can agree on, at least here, the music is pretty great. Um, but if you don't like adventure games or games that are very story-driven and have pretty much no other combat or other mechanic, then this is really not the game for you. Um, I liked it, but not enough for multiple playthroughs. Yeah. Another game I've played, I'm pretty sure neither of you two have played this one, is Mighty Gunvolt Burst. So what's that about, actually? Why, Ginny? It is Mega Man. Mega Man, okay. Yes, he is a man who is mega. <laughs> and he has a big gun with bolts. <laughs> Pretty much. It's kind of like Mega Man. Um, so I was, I bought it when I was really lamenting the lack of the Mega Man Legacy collections on Switch, which have since been announced. Thanks, Capcom. Um, I played this because I'd heard it was short and it would make a good palate cleanser after playing through two really oppressive, tense Resident Evil games. And it was a pretty good choice. So it's definitely a Mega Man riff. Um, and it has the character Beck from Mighty Number no. 9 for some reason. Um, and a character called Gunvolt from a Gunvolt series. I've played neither of those other games. Uh, I know Mighty Number no. 9 didn't get the best critical reception. I have no no idea at all how Gunvolt is viewed. But this is pretty okay. Well balanced in terms of challenge and length. Um, like Mega Man, you pick your stage in whichever order you want. You can battle through these tricky platforming sections and then after beating, usually a challenging boss at the end, you can gain a power to use in subsequent levels. Here though it's pretty customizable, uh, which I quite enjoyed. You, you can choose not to take a power and take a stat increase instead, which sort of aids the replayability of levels. Um, and you can really change how the gun operates from bullet sizes, shapes, speed, trajectory, how many objects fire at once, figuring out boss weaknesses and tailoring the attacks element to each boss's weakness is pretty enjoyable too, just as is figuring out their attack pattern and then nailing the sort of perfect timing required to beat them. I quite enjoyed it. It's short, but priced appropriately. I think I beat it over two nights. Uh, perfect if you're just after a quick Mega Man Blast while you're waiting for the Legacy Collections to come finally. Hurry it up. Uh, next up, Brawlout. I haven't played a ton of this, maybe an hour or two, uh, but I'm finding it to be a pretty competent Smash clone. It's almost like a one-to-one -one rip, just with original and indie characters instead of Nintendo properties. Uh, as someone who's happy to have something to fill the gap until Smash Wii U gets ported over, um, I just can't have that can't seem to have that same affinity for it, even though it's basically the same and feels maybe a little, little more hardcore. Basically, I just miss Link and Cloud particularly. I think that's a large part of my issue. Haven't tried the online yet. I gather there's some performance issues. Did I see you playing this one, Andrew? I got it when it launched, and I, I like its aesthetic. They got a pretty interesting cast of characters there, although it leans a little heavy into national stereotypes. Uh, but they're all like animal characters and uh, like there's a uh, a four-armed frog who's a luchador who's pretty awesome uh, <laughs> but I did play it online and if you played Super Smash Brothers Brawl online when it first launched uh, it plays a lot like that 
when you're in a good match, uh, it plays super slow and super floaty, uh, and that's when you're in a good match. <laughs> it did just get a patch, or at least I, I saw a news report yesterday that it's gotten a patch approved to increase stability. I don't know if that was for online or not, uh, but it is plays very much like Smash Brothers, but it, it feels very twitchy and very uh, over-precise, I think, is the word I want to use. It, it doesn't feel as good to play as Smash Brothers. And it's got a cool unlock system and a reward scheme in it. It's basically got a system copied over from MOBAs, where you can do daily quests and it'll earn you tokens towards unlocking new characters. Uh, the problem I ran into was all the daily quests were requiring me to do online matches, which when I got connected to an online match, I was getting my butt handed to me because I'm not good at fighting games. Uh, but So I ran into that. But it, I think if you're into fighters and you're, like, you're really into it on a competitive level, uh, then this would tide you over until an actual Smash Brothers game came out. Uh, next one is Quest of Dungeons. Uh, I finally put some time into that after being wanting to for ages. Uh, I think I've discussed on the show before that I'm not massive on roguelikes outside of Spelunky. Um, I guess Minecraft has roguelike elements too, maybe. Uh, however, Quest of Dungeons really stuck with me when I plumped for it earlier this year, and although I haven't played it a great deal since, it sort of stayed in the back of my own mind as something to go back to. Uh, it was in my end-of-year shortlist for overlooked games, and I, I feel like I kept overlooking it as well. I ended up playing it after beating Resident Evil Revelations 1 late at night and wanted something quick to play, uh, just to tide me over till bedtime, and I ended up playing it solidly for a few days. Uh, after a couple of nights of struggling, uh, quite a few times falling at the final hurdle, I finally beat the first dungeon, huzzah, on easy, using the easiest class. Uh, having also died a lot on easy beforehand but I did it and I felt super rewarded and I feel I've got the tools now to go back and get that dungeon done again on the normal difficulty but I'm probably going to work my way through the others first uh, it's such a simple fun little game that has this really absorbing rhythm but it's also a rhythm that'll kill you if you're not paying attention uh, most of the times I died was because I was too deep in sort of just you know hit the next room hit the attack button and then I'd accidentally stumble across a boss or a quest character and then left myself in a position where I couldn't get out. But instead of getting frustrated, uh, it's fast paced just made me want to keep jumping back in. It's it's a really great gameplay loop. Uh, I like it that much that I've actually got on board it on iOS and 3DS so I can have it with me at all times. I played this a bunch when it first came out. I really like it. Uh, it. It also had the misfortune to come out just when the Switch library was really opening up, so it kind of got buried after that. I do mean to come back to it, but uh, if you go back about 10 episodes, I want to say, we have an interview with the developer, David Amador. He's a really nice guy. You should go back and listen to it if you can. Yeah, totally do that. Um, talking of roguelikes, I also bought one more dungeon in the honeymoon period of finally getting to grips with Quest of Dungeons, and I like this too. Uh, it's more of an old-school first-person shooter game with a roguelike structure. The controls are super finicky, though. Mm -hmm. Like, original Doom and Wolfenstein 3D still play great. And 
you know, once you're in the rhythm, it's every bit as absorbing as a normal modern FPS. But here, it sort of gets the basics of control all wrong. It's it's like it's hard to turn the camera just left or right slightly to line up the crosshair with an enemy. Uh, managed to mitigate that by playing a little with the sensitivity settings, but it's not perfect at all. There are sensitivity uh, settings. Finding... Yes. Oh, I couldn't find them. But even with those, I'm still finding I need to sidestep a lot just to hit the target, and even that's not really ideal given the structure of the uh, mm-hmm. the dungeons. Still fun though. I haven't played enough of it to figure out the systems, its quirks, or even get out of a dungeon. But I, I definitely want to put more time into it. Uh, that said, after a couple of deaths, I keep shelving it for Quest of Dungeons instead. Uh, I kind of wish it was grid and turn-based. I feel like the whole thing would just work better. Yeah, it, it plays kind of like a an old-school first-person dungeon crawler, just they've turned off the game clock, so everything runs in real time, kind of like they did with Diablo back in the day. Uh, I, I really like it. It's got a really cool aesthetic. It's got uh, this great highly pixelated art style but it's got very bold colors and very distinct shapes for everything so it still looks really great even though it's going for a deliberately pixelated appearance but those controls just got in my way uh when maybe they added them in between the day that i played it and the day that andy played it but i could not find any controls to do anything more than just play with the sound settings and I was playing on a pro controller on a console, and even then the turning was too finicky for me. Uh, I, I adjusted to it after a while. I could hit things most of the time, but that was with the pro controller. I think anybody who's played with the Joy-Con knows uh, how much harder it is to make a precise movement with the joysticks on those. I, I really could not imagine playing one more dungeon with a Joy-Con and doing it successfully. I actually, I think I found the Joy-Con a bit better. I think it's got more of a a dead zone that that assisted me with that, Hmm. but yeah. Um, Another roguelike I tried was the Flame and the Flood. I made a start on it. I get it. I get the appeal, but I played for an hour and was like, yeah, I'm just not in the mood for this. Uh, The art style is great. I love that. It plays fine. I'm just not sure why it didn't grab me. Um, I've made a note here on the music. Like Everyone loves it, and I was really excited to hear it, but when I got there, I was kind of surprised with the the praise for that because it's just so generic. What? Yeah, just generic. You, you know, bloody Australians. Uh, I'm English. Leave me alone. Uh, I just, I don't know. So yeah, mixed impressions. I'll keep you posted if I go back to it. Um, I have archived it for now, uh, and instead I played. Blossom Tales, The Sleeping King. So, this was like a homage to classic Zelda games, particularly a link to the past, top-down, 16-bit graphics, controls the same, has the same structure, similar progression, ability, attack items, but it is a very, very good clone and done in a really loving way. I'd probably go as far to say it's my favourite Zelda-like on the system, uh, with the caveat that I haven't played It'll Do. Uh, but it easily beats Oceanhorn, which was merely okay, and Yano and the Celestial Elephants, which is pretty great too. Um, but Blossom Tales does really not shy away from its homages to Zelda. It literally references it right out the bat in the second sentence. Uh, but it's done in a really sweet way. It embraces it thereafter, but without shoving the whole thing down your throat. I really like the approach there. Um, 
It follows the story of a young apprentice knight called Lily who gets caught in the middle of a plot to overthrow the king, who gets put into an eternal sleep by the big bad. She must recover three ingredients to make a potion to break the curse. Um, there is a really cool element to it, though. The story is being told by a grandfather in the real world to his two grandchildren. Um, and at certain points, the kids argue about plot points, and then you get to choose which way to go. So in the first proper area, for example, you get a choice between whether she faces cursed archers or golems, and then the choice gets added into the game. Didn't really have any far-reaching consequences that I discovered, but it's a nice little story device. Uh, also, whenever the whenever you die, the grandpa declares, wait, sorry, I got the story wrong, and it takes you back to a checkpoint, which is really cool. So, is this literally Princess Bride, the video game? <laughs> <laughs> Possibly, I have I have not seen that movie. Andy, um, oh my god, every, you are making me week, so sad this week. <laughs> every week, there's something, some some integral part of popular culture you confess to us that you have not seen. This happens every single week. Hang on, is this the Mel Brooks movie? No, uh... <laughs> it's a Rob Reiner movie. <laughs> Rob Reiner, sorry, that was the one. Yeah, sure. I have, uh-huh. I, uh-huh. I, uh-huh. I, All right. No, actually, I, I saw the back half of this on TV the other week. <laughs> I bet you did, sure. <laughs> anyway, uh, what what's weird about this game is there are some weird difficulty spikes across its four dungeons, and those spikes last for exactly one room, where it's infuriatingly difficult, uh, and then the rest of it's really easy. Uh, and these are usually where you have to run down these lengthy one square wide paths interspersed with treadmills and then you also have enemies throwing stuff at you I spent like an hour on one of them towards the end and then the the, the final boss was like really easy I had him done in 10 minutes it was kind of weird but apart from that yeah I really enjoyed it I totally recommend people check that out if they're looking for something a bit like A Link to the Past uh, yeah either of you two played? it's no, on my I... list <laughs> Same here. The list. Cool. We're into the final stretch of my stuff now. Pocken. Yeah. Been playing this. Yeah, been playing this over the past two days. I kept saying how I kept underplaying it. I've been going through the single player. Absolutely love it. I I'm finally appreciating the field stage a bit more. Oh, sorry, mm. field phase a bit more. Uh, whereas previously, I just hated it and just wanted to get back to the normal two D plane. Uh, yeah, I've I've, I've beat uh, Shadow Mew two, uh, and I'm in the Chroma League, which is becoming a bit of a chore. But on the flip side, it's probably a good way for people to train for what online is going to be like with multiple setbacks and things like that. Not going to spend a lot more time talking about it. It's a fighting game. Uh, you either you two played this one over the break? Just a little bit. Um, I stopped around the same point um, back when the game first came out. Um, I think I raved about it for about a fortnight and played basically just that. Um, but yeah, um, I'll be more excited once I see what the new content looks like and implementation. I think we talked about it briefly last episode, the new cosmetics and the new support teams. So I'm sure that will sort of reignite my interest when that releases again. I finished the story mode like the weekend it came out. And then I just haven't really felt the desire to play it since. I think it's got a lot of unlock stuff in it, which normally I really like. But I think if I liked fighting games better and if just the Switch didn't have a ridiculous number of things out on it to play, I'd probably play it more. I I like it fine. It's just, it's not a priority for me. 
That's fair enough. Uh, and lastly, I on Thursday I think I picked up Rayman Legends. Yeah, uh, I, I basically I basically listened to a podcast where they raved about it, and I remembered how great that game was and bought it the next day. Uh, and I've been playing it today, and just just what a fun time that game is. That's all I'm going to say on that. It's great. Buy it. Play it again. Just do it. Play it somehow. It's on every format. Just do it. Cool. So we're off my list now. So we can move on to Andrews. I'm just flicking through the first one that you had that I hadn't played was Skyrim. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely played more Skyrim than probably everything else combined that I played over our break. Uh, I think when we wrapped on our Game of the Year episode, I was at about 90 hours in Skyrim. Right now it's sitting at 170 hours. Uh, it is by far my number one most played game on the Switch now. Uh most of that was because I was n- deliberately not doing fast travel, but after a while, I had kind of done everything there was to do, and the quests I hadn't done yet were just making me do a lot of retracing my steps. So I did start using fast travel once I'd done everything in every major city, and then the ending arrived much faster after that, but Skyrim is still great. I love it on the Switch. Like uh, It was already one of my favorite games of all time, and this has only solidified that in my mind. Uh, if you're looking for something to just suck up time on the Switch, Skyrim would probably be at the top of my recommendation list. Uh, another game that came out, I've been looking forward to it since the announcement of the Switch, I think, which is when they said it was going to come, and then they sprung it on us with one of those three-day notice announcements it was enter the gungeon which is a top-down twin-stick shooter roguelite which is a very popular genre on the switch right now i think this one might be the best one uh because it really focuses on dodge rolling and skillfully uh avoiding things in a bullet hell environment where other games will kind of have a bullet hell this one you really need to know the patterns to survive and get through get through it successfully. I've put over 10 hours into it. I've never actually managed to do a successful run yet, but there's all kinds of fun guns in it you can unlock. I'm still unlocking more stuff. There's all kinds of characters you can unlock who will help you out, just NPCs and additional playable characters. Uh, it kind of reminds me of Binding of Isaac, which was my favorite indie game of last year. Uh, But it's a little bit less of a mouthful. Like, if you want to play a roguelike game, but you just don't want to be overwhelmed by everything being thrown at you, I think Enter the Gungeon is a good compromise. The next game I played came out just before Christmas. And if you've been watching Switch indie development, you've probably seen this game because there's, it's kind of been in a foot race with another game to be the successor of Advance Wars on the Switch. It's Wargrooved and Tiny Metal, and Wargrooved was supposed to come out at the end of the year, and it didn't make it, but Tiny Metal did. So I tried it because I'm a huge Advance Wars fan. This game just feels like an imitation. Uh, it has basically no personality once you're in the game. Everything looks the same. Uh, I have a really hard time just even seeing where my units are on the map because they just blend in with the environment so much. And 
like when you're trying to be the successor to Advance Wars, which had a really distinct art style and just a really profound personality that just really stood out just from looking at it, not even playing it. If you just looked at a screenshot of it, you're like, that's Advance Wars. And Tiny Metal did not make a strong first impression on me, so I have not revisited it since the first night with it. Any interest in Tiny Metal or Wargroove from either of you? Uh, I had, I did have an interest in Tiny Metal until loads of people said it was a bit bland, yeah. so I haven't bothered. Yeah, same here. Uh, I bought it, so I'm definitely going to finish it at some point, but if you're a huge Advance Wars fan and you have any inclination to lean on my opinion, I'd say wait for Wargrooved, which will hopefully be a better successor than Tiny Metal has proven to be. And by everything we've seen of it so far, I have every reason to believe that will be the case. <laughs> and another game I picked up last year, it was Axiom Verge, but I finally sat down in the first week of January and beat it. And it's a kind of a cyberpunk Metroid clone. Uh, clone, that's a funny word to use in this context. I liked it, but... I felt like it could have been more thoughtfully designed. This was a game that was made by one person over a great many years, and it looks great, it plays great, but as you know if you've played a Metroid game, your your progression forward depends upon unlocking a variety of different abilities that change the way that you can interact with the map. Mostly what you unlock in Axiom Verge is new guns, most of which I didn't even use because you just get so many of them, and most of them don't feel all that useful compared to a few core, like, four guns that I used consistently throughout. And you also get the ability to travel through, like, first one-tile walls, then two-tile walls, and three-tile walls, and that was pretty much the entire progression, and... The first half of the game I really enjoyed when you were unveiling the map, but then like the second half of the game was backtracking you through all that stuff, trying to find the one room that you were supposed to go into that lets you into the next area. Uh, it kind of fell apart in the back half is what I'm saying. Uh, it, it was still a good game, but there are better Metroid games out there. Another game I picked up in December was Pinball FX3, which, to my amazement, actually turned out to be one of my favorite games I played in December. Uh, it is a pay-to-play game. If you download it, it's free, and you get one free table, which is Sorcerer's Lair. Uh, and any other tables you get, you have to buy them. And the prices aren't unreasonable, but you do have to buy most of them in packs so like if you're interested in one table you're probably going to end up having to buy a bunch of other tables as well to go with it but mostly what i played is sorcerer's lair which is actually a really great table uh it's got lots of little loops on it that are a lot of fun to aim for and also it's got some cool mini games built into it that you have to discover uh, but the thing I really like about Pinball FX3 is that it actually has challenge modes and mastery stars built onto each table, so you actually have something to work towards on like every table, rather than just playing it and going for a high high score. And I contrast this with another pinball game, which actually released on the very same day, Stern Pinball, which goes more towards more realism. 
Uh, it actually copies actual stern pinball tables where everything in Pinball FX3 is a fantasy table. So like, if you're a pinball fan, you might get more out of Stern, but Stern, even though it went for realism, it felt very stripped back and very simple in comparison. I actually uh, got this when it first went up, but didn't bother installing it. And then the wife was playing some tables yesterday, and I was just looking on going, oh, that, that looks kind of fun. I'm not a big pinball fan in any way. Uh, but I ended up buying the uh, Portal and Walking Dead tables just because I the other two didn't interest me, the ones that we got for free at the time. I bought those too. Um, I, I had a quick go of the Portal one. Yeah, it's pretty fun. It's it's just the sort of game I jump into when I've got nothing else or I just don't want to think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's it's pretty cool. It's it. good for that. <laughs> Completely fine. Jenny, are you into pinball? Not particularly, but if they come out with a Dead or Alive Extreme Volleyball 3 board, I think I'll play it. <laughs> a jiggle physics optional? Oh, yeah, soft engine enabled, 100%. Like, I'll <laughs> fork out money for that, don't worry. <laughs> Another game I picked up on the New Year's sale was Gunner, based mostly on the recommendation of Brad Galloway of Game Critics. He was really enjoying it. It's another roguelite. I think you've worked out by now I really like those games. Uh, but this one is a platforming action shooter, which is abstract as heck. Like You play as this headless body who runs around with a gun and shoots abstract shapes uh, to get through the levels. And like you can interchange your heads and the heads you have on affects how much health you have and gives you different abilities and it's all to gather food for your whale friend or something honestly i have no (laughs) idea what's going on in that game but it looks really cool it's got a great soundtrack and it even when it's not on sale it's super cheap i i highly recommend it if you're into uh, platformers at all And the next game, I'm almost done, I promise. Uh, The next (laughs) game I played was The Bridge, which was another game I bought because it was on sale super cheap during the New Year sale. This is a puzzle platformer where you play as a scientist and you kind of walk around M.C. Escher-esque paintings and you can rotate the paintings around and you've got to solve simple puzzles and get to the exits. Uh, It looks really good because it's all hand-drawn uh art but it just felt insubstantial to me i i got done with playing an hour of it and i couldn't really remember any of it after that it was just kind of filler so it's there but it didn't make an impression on me and this last one's just an announcement for today i'm not going to make any statements about this game but the sexy brutale If you listen to the podcast, you know I was very disappointed back when it launched that I really liked the game, I liked the concept, but it was just not performing on the Switch up to a standard that was acceptable. Uh, But they have put out a patch for it, which seems to have greatly increased the amount of time the game spends buffering the game world, but it really cut down on the frame rate issues, so... Like, when I'm walking through that ballroom area, it's no longer physically painful to look at the screen because it's just right in that sweet spot of frame rate where it hurts your eyes. That seems to have gone away. So I haven't played much further than I first got, 
when I played it when it launched a couple months ago, but it all seems to be fine now, so I would definitely say if you're interested in Sexy Brutale on Switch, this is now a viable platform for it, and I'm very happy to say that. And that's good, because I was, I was going to pick it up originally. Uh, I held off after we had that show where you, you criticized the frame rate, and um, I was just hanging hanging on to see if there was going to be a patch. Sounds like I'll grab it now in the next couple of weeks, I think. Nice. And that's it. I'm done. That's everything I played over the break. <laughs> cool. So Ginny, now so you can uh, pick through what's left of what we haven't played. All right. So that makes my list a lot shorter. Um, I'm going to probably start with um, Pick a Picks Deluxe. Um, so I do not have a huge Picross background. Um, I am woefully inadequate when it comes to basic counting and mathematics. Um, so I was quite challenged um, by Pick-a-Pix Deluxe. So I've played the other Picross-esque game, Pixel Lines DX, on the Switch. And I found that a whole of a lot easier, mainly because I suppose it wasn't really a Picross game. Um, but it was like baby's first Picross, which is why I needed to actually get into something like Pick-a-Pix Deluxe. And for me, I think while the game is enjoyable enough on its own I'm just not a huge Picross fan so um, I found it a bit of a struggle um, even initially I was finding the 10 by 10 puzzles a bit hard just because um, comparatively in terms of what you see when you look at the visual for the for the puzzle in Pixel Lions DX um, the ones that pick a pick deluxe don't really look like anything um, I remember I did a puzzle and I was so stuck because for me, I know that it should be about the numbers, but I'm really big on visualizing. So I was like, okay, it's got to be some kind of animal or a, a furniture item or something. And I turned out in the end, this sort of like amorphous yellow blob. And I thought, oh, this can't be right. And the game was like, oh no, it's correct. And I'm like, oh, what's that? Like a potato. And the game was like, no, it's a cat. I would <laughs> never in my life have realized what it was supposed to be if the game hadn't gone, right, it's a cat. And even after knowing it was a cat, I couldn't see any distinguishing features that would turn that blob into a cat. Um, so if your only experience with Picross is something like Pixel Lines DX that is admittedly um, much bigger on visualization than number patterns, um, this may not be for you. Um, I enjoyed what I could of it. I mean, it, it gave my brain a bit, a bit of a workout, but not something that I'm going to be going back to anytime soon. Um, have either of you guys? I know Andrew, you like Pie Cross. Would you consider picking up Pick a Pick's Deluxe? I am somehow not sure what this game is, and I suspect it's because it maybe has not hit the US eShop. Because, oh. yeah, usually a game like this would have been on my radar unless it looked too much like a mobile game to me. I'll have to mm. review the eShop and see if it's on there because it sounds like something i would be interested in but i i'm totally with you on the picture thing i usually can't tell what a picross solution is until it colors everything in for me it's like oh it's a donkey <laughs> simpsons reference i got it i was like was that like a derisive chuckle from andrew or like from andy or what i was just like Haha. and i was like what <laughs> Oh, okay. These anyway. are steamed hams. <laughs> oh, no. No. Uh, 
speaking of um, steamed hams, um, I've also been playing Breath of the Wild, um, which is relevant because you can cook steaks in the game and they look like hams. I don't know where I'm going with this. And you can see the Aurora Borealis completely localized in your living room. That too. I mean, there are some pretty spectacular lights when the dragons in Breath of the Wild spawn. So, all in all, um, great experience. Um, I've been trying to work my way through the Champions Ballad DLC. Still don't have the Master Cycle Zero because I'm apparently a scrub. Um, But I'm just really enjoying um, the new mechanics that they've introduced. Um, So, things like the one-hit obliterator um, and just different ways of working through enemies. I think I've got pretty much all the DLC items apart from the Master Cycle Zero. So, it's just a matter of me working my way through the terrain and the shrines once again, uh, but I'm, I've been having fun. I've been swapping between doing that and doing my master mode playthrough, which is going a lot more slowly because master mode is hard um, for me. Um, but now I'm enjoying it. Um, I actually thought that Zelda would have sort of run out of steam for me um, quite a long time ago because I mean, I really, really was enraptured by it when it first came out. But for me, often when I'm playing a game, I love it a whole lot that flame often burns really brightly really quickly and then sort of fizzles out but I mean almost a year later um, I'm still really enjoying Breath of the Wild if I'm just in bed doing nothing you know it's sort of my go-to game so I'm really quite pleased at the state of the DLC and I just hope that they give us even cooler stuff this year Um, I know Andrew's got the Master Cycle Zero are you gonna crack into the DLC as well Andy or giving it a miss for now? Uh, I'm gonna hold off until maybe mid-year mm. when the releases slow down and see how I'm going then I think <laughs> wishful thinking there yeah I'm trying fair enough positive attitude <laughs> um, positive <clears throat> attitude that the switch gets fewer games what a time to be alive <laughs> um, and I think apart from that I'm very close to the end of my holiday game list merely because I played pretty much most of what Andy had played um, Stardew Valley was sort of my big game these holidays. I just played Stardew Valley nonstop. I don't know why. Um, I don't know what compelled me to. I mean, I liked the game enough when it first came out on the PC, played quite a bit of it. I liked it when it first came out on the Switch, played that as well, but it didn't really grab me. And then all of a sudden I just had like a manic episode where I played like a hundred hours of Stardew Valley <laughs> in a row. Um, so I'm not quite sure uh, what sort of like um, crop-based fever caught me these Christmas holidays but um, I'm loving it um, I I guess I just maybe am better at farming now um, I used to find a lot of the stuff like collecting and the harvesting I just wasn't very competent at it and I sort of wouldn't know what to do in the right order like I'd forget about the community center until way too late um, I would spend too much time trying to romance um, that brooding man by the sea and forget about pretty much everything else <laughs> Um, but now that yeah I mean I I think he's an eligible bachelor um, of which there are not many others in the Stardew universe Um, I think Shane smells like the inside of a pizza box but I digress Um, the point here is that be nice to the basement dwellers come on (laughs) the point here is that on my third playthrough of Stardew Valley I think I'm finally getting it and the switch has once again done its magic like it did for me with Skyrim and with Eleanor, it's making me appreciate a game even more the second time that I experience it, or the third time in this case. 
and it's giving the title some longevity for me. So full thumbs up. Um, I love Stardew Valley on the Switch and I can't wait for the multiplayer to actually arrive. I know it hits PC first, but I've heard that it will come to the Switch. So hopefully that will bring in a whole new kind of players and increase my agricultural possibilities for the future. <clears throat> and you'll have people to play with because actually the news came out this week that Stardew Valley is the best selling Switch game on the entire there platform. There oh, we wow. go. Last but not least, um, Crawl. So um, we received a code for Crawl from Powerhoof Studios. They are Australian developers. Woo! Um, support your local developers. Um, but basically, Crawl is one hell of a game. So for the uninitiated, um, you're sort of thrown to this sort of underground hell dungeon. And it's horrific and terrible. Your character is vomiting and crying and, and bleeding everywhere. And... Um, you basically get slaughtered within minutes. But then the game tells you that when you die, you basically occupy this purgatory as a spirit. And your job is to haunt other people coming through this purgatory until you kill them and possess their bodies to regain your humanity. And basically, um, it's probably the most fun as a co-op game. It reminds me of Towerfall, that PS4 game where it's basically you and your mates have to slaughter one another um, in order to win. So, um, Crawl as a single-player game, not very difficult. Um, the whole point of it is for you to fight your way out of this hellscape by either deliberately getting yourself killed in order to gain wrath points to power up your spirits and to possess other players at a higher level to then escape the dungeon and kill the big bad. Um, it's got a very self-contained game loop, um, which means that the narrative aspect is basically zero. What you see is what you get. It very much is a party game, I think. Um, kind of stuff kind of reminds me of Bro Force in terms of the speed by speed in which the game sort of rushes by. Um, there are some bullet hell elements, just a lot of stuff flying everywhere at every single second of gameplay. It's very chaotic, but Crawl has great visuals, great soundtrack. I think really good art direction. And if you're looking for a party game that is a little bit um, less child friendly than some of the other party games that we've covered in the past. Cards and Against Humanity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is definitely, like, the kind of game that you would want to play as a jaded teen and upwards. You know, um, a lot of bloodshed, a lot of ghosts, a lot of uh, rather gory things happening, but all very pixelated. Um, very slick graphics. I don't know, it just feels like a really good, complete package. Um, it's retailing for a pretty good price as well, I believe, on the Switch. Um, and if you've got mates to play it with, definitely give it a shot. You could always enjoy it solo, but you'll probably get maybe half an hour of playtime max out of it. Mm. So if you've got flatmates, give Crawl a go. It's a good one. So uh, that's the end of this big catch-up episode. We're going to return to our normal format next week. Uh, what are you guys playing over this coming week? Probably Xenoblade Chronicles 2. I really want to try and push myself to finish it. Um, but I may be a ways yet. I just really want to kind of pump through it, get it off my um, get it off my console, just because um, it is a huge game. Um, and I need to make way for Bayonetta and SNK Heroines. So I need to make sure that I've cleared Xenoblade and Pura off my backlog before I do any of those <laughs> other fun things. 
Oh. I have recently been contacted by a relative who has informed me that I have inherited his estate, which is a venerable place, opulent and imperial. So next week I'll be playing Darkest Dungeon, and <laughs> Celeste, <laughs> Celeste comes out on the 25th, so I'll be playing oh. that as well. So nice. basically, I'm going to spend the next week playing super hard indie games, and I'll be crying through most of the next episode. Awesome. Okay, uh, I'm going to be picking up Lost Sphere on Tuesday, and playing through that. My Xenoblade Chronicles 2 playthrough is on hold. I'm also going to carry on with Rayman and try and get Pokken finished if I can overcome my current uh, difficulty ceiling on that. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Switch Focus podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It'll really help us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services. Why not also check out our YouTube channel, where we regularly upload the first hour of many of the games we play. And you can follow us on Twitter at Switch Focus Pod, YouTube, Facebook, or our new Discord channel, which we'll link to in the show notes, and at our website, switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. Uh, you can follow us all individually on Twitter. I'm at Flame Roast Toast, Andrew is at Play Critically, and Ginny is at Ginny Woes.